0: How many of you watched that show or have watched it, a uh, show on Netflix called Stranger Things? Awesome. Um, well, so in this movie, you know, it's like these kids, they're like 12 years old, and it takes place in the 80s, which I really like because I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And um, so they find this, you know, it's kind of this sci-fi show, and there's this other uh, kind of evil dimension called the Upside Down. And uh, they, they, you know, in this place, there's like, Everything from this, this dimension is, is evil and is bad, uh, and, and they kind of know, know that, and they've you know, fought some creatures in there. And so uh, in the second season, this kid, he finds this, this little creature that is from this evil dimension, and, and they, they kind of know it, you know, they, they know it, but, but the kid wants to keep it as a pet. Now, uh, his friends know that this is a terrible idea. They're like, no, 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 we just need to kill it. They're like, this thing is not okay. It's not good. It's bad. Uh, and you could tell by looking at you as the viewer, you're like, yeah, it's pretty clear that this thing is not okay. It looks really weird. It's scared of the light. Um, and you're just like, yeah, they, they just need to destroy it. And this, his friends are like, yeah, yeah, let's destroy it. And the kid's like, no, I want to keep it as a pet. So he, he gives the, the, this creature a name, he puts it like in this you know kind of aquarium tank in his room, and he just keeps it around. And, and he keeps feeding it, and it keeps growing, and you as the viewer, you're just like, just wait, man, it's coming. And one day he comes home from school, and um, it, you know, it's burst out of, it's busted out of its cage, out of the glass, and then it's over there just eating this guy's cat. And then you're like, well, maybe it's not so bad after all. And um, uh, and then you know then then this thing starts to turn on him and come after him, and you're just like, "Yep, we knew it. You should have just got rid of that thing from the beginning. You shouldn't have let like like that thing is evil. It's not a pet. But do and it seems so obvious, you know. But do we do the same thing in our lives? Is there something that we keep in our lives and we just kind of keep it around and we treat it like this pet and we think, hey? It's okay, I can manage it, I can take care of it, I can keep it, you know, I can control it, but in reality, this thing is, is really hurting you. It's going to come after you, it's going to try to kill you, and that thing is sin. We, tr- we, do this, we treat it the same way with sin, but sin is destructive, and it's very sneaky, it, and there's a, there's a depth to it, and there's a deceit to it. And so today we're going to look at this story, and we're going to ask four big questions of just what is going on in the church, in the gospel community, what it looks like, and then what happens when sin creeps in, and why does this sin creep in? So uh, open your Bibles to Acts 4. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you've gone to Romans, too far. So Acts, and, and Luke, uh, the author, he regularly shows us the church scattered on mission, proclaiming the gospel and what God is doing. Uh, But there's a couple times here and in chapter two that he kind of takes us into like, hey, this is what's going on inside of the church. So in verse 32, it says this, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And so it says, now the full number, of those who believed. Uh, you know, it doesn't give us the exact amount, but it's saying, hey, everybody, everybody who believed, everybody who's there in Jerusalem is of one heart, one soul. And that full number, I mean, in, uh, at the day of Pentecost, it says that 3,000 people came to Christ after they healed a crippled man and proclaimed the gospel. There it says that 5,000 men believed in God. It doesn't even include you know, the number of women, so that number of 5,000 would probably even be more. Um, and so, I mean, this is several thousand people, maybe up to 10,000 people are here in Jerusalem that have trusted in Christ. And what do we see here is that they're unified. They're of one heart, one soul, sharing everything that they had in common. So here's the big question. How can that happen? How can you get thousands of people together being one heart, one soul, being unified? How can that happen? And here's why. They believed the gospel. Right? Faith in Jesus United them, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. Uh, he had come. He had, he, had, he had the Messiah had come. He had paid the price for sin. He 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 was crucified, and then he rose again. And then he had they believed in him, and he had given them his spirit and filled them with his spirit. And so that's what unified them. They're all committed to Christ, and this unity—it's not something that they created, but it's something that God established. God created it, and you know what this means is that. If, if God is the one that establishes it, God is the one that creates it, that means that this is not something that we cook up ourselves. It's not because we all agree on everything. You know, it's not because we all have the same kind of, we all look the same. It's not because we all have the same kind of home or we have the same kind of income. Well, make the same. Like, I mean, just a few verses later, we said that there's some people in need. There's some people that are, that are kind of rolling. They, they have a lot there. I mean, they're even selling extra homes, extra fields, giving those to those in need. So what, what, what happens here is they're unified, not because of uniformity and uh, thinking all the exact same way and agreeing on all the same things, or because they look the same. It's not that uniformity that makes them unified. It's the identity that they have in Christ. That's what unifies them is because of their identity in Jesus. And now, right now in our world, there's a lot of disunity. I mean, people, people are divided. People are divided. What to think about, uh, you know, this, this COVID thing. Hey, should, you know, should there be masks? Should there not be masks? Should schools open? Should they not? Should there be sports? Should they not? You know, is this a big deal or is it not? You know, and people are all, you know, disagreeing about that. Disagreeing about politics and who to vote for and who's good, who's bad. And, 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 you know, and we, we, we all get into it. We have our opinions, we have our stances, and that's fine. But I really wish that us as followers of Jesus, that we were as excited about Jesus and, and the truth that unifies us, be more excited about Jesus rather than our opinions about stuff that possibly divide us. I mean, like if we disagree on masks or whatever, no, like, that's really not a big deal. But we have this unity in Jesus. What should we be even more excited about? The more that we become about the, these other issues and that, that just drives us and all of these things, and we make that ultimate rather than the ultimate unifier in Christ, we, we lose what we have to offer this world so we're unified, we're one body, one family. Again, not because we all agree or we all vote the same or look the same or anything like that, but because we're all unified, because we're all lost, broken, sinful people that are saved by grace, saved by the blood of Christ. This common identity that we have in him by his grace, that is who we are. And so well, we see this gospel unity that's that here in the church that is established by God, but then we see it being experienced. Look at verse 30, uh, you know, verse 32, they're all one heart. They don't consider things that belong to them their own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, so they're sharing the gospel, sharing about Jesus, and grace, great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there's not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had need. So this is how this gospel community is being experienced. They're, they're being generous to one another. They're, they're caring for each other. And again, this is, this is not something that, uh, you know, is mandated by the government or even, even exactly by the church. This is voluntary. Because of the new heart that is in them. And I, I like what uh, Pastor J.D. Greer said. He says, uh, the gospel had loosened their grip on their stuff and tightened their grip on each other. Loosen their grip on, this, on their stuff, but tighten their grip on each other. And that's what ha- happens when the gospel gets a hold of someone. We loosen our grip on our stuff. Hey, why? Because, man, but we tighten a grip on each other because this is what we belong to. We belong to each other, to this family that God has made. And so that's what they're doing. They're giving to those who need and they don't consider their stuff their own. Now, let's first just admit that thinking of our stuff, our money, is not our own. That's hard. I mean, when, we, when I read these verses, I'm like, cool, they did it. But that doesn't sound very easy for us to do it. It doesn't sound very easy for me. Because why? Man, we like to think of our stuff, well, it's our stuff. You have your thing. And I have my thing. And that's just kind of how this goes. But is, you, th- you think more of things as not your own, though, when you belong to a family. So in my living room, we have this big couch, and it has this, you know, this chase on it. Um, and, and Christy picked it out. And if somebody said, well, hey, is that your couch? I'd be like, well, yeah. And they said, well, is it only your couch? Well, no. Well, who else? You know, hey, is it your kid's couch? I'd be like, well, yeah. I mean, they didn't pay for it. I paid for it. Kristen, I paid for it. She picked it out, of course. Right? But I'd be like, well, yeah, but I mean, but it's, I, I guess it kind of belongs to me, but, but it's like it's our family's couch. It just belongs to us. Well, And the reason I think that way is because, well, this is my family. I don't, I don't really think of things as just mine. I don't really think that they're just belonging to me. I'm like, well, they belong to my family. If that's true of in my biological family, shouldn't that be true of our, our spiritual family, our church family? I mean, in the Midwest, we, we're really great at being very concerned about our biological family. And we should be. That's good. But we think that that's real family, and then church is like a Whatever. But it's, it's, the, it's the family that Jesus died to create. It's something that I say and will continue to say. Jesus didn't come, die, pay the price for sin, and raise again so he could create an audience. He did it to create a family. Us. And, you know, and, and so when we think more and more of, of church as a family, people that we belong to, that we're committed to, the more and more that we can have that mentality that we're being generous and so we see that here. And then in verse 36, it gives this example. Hey, everybody's, everybody's being generous, you know, sharing things. And then it says this, verse 36, thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas. It's cool. He gets a nickname. Um, you know, that's always fun to get a nickname. And so, which means son of encouragement. And he's a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He, he doesn't even actually live in Jerusalem. He's not even from there. So when he's selling his stuff and giving them to the church, it's not like he grew up with these people. It's not like he, maybe he's even known them for a long time, but he's just like, yep, I'm going to do it because this is a family that I belong to. So he's a native of Cyprus. So this guy, Barnabas, son of encouragement, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money uh, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so Barnabas, his, his name means son of encouragement, and later on he goes to, to with, with Paul on some missionary journeys. He's, he's always kind of the first one at the front to be like, hey, I'm all about the mission of God. You know, his, his, his grip had loosened on his stuff and it, it tightened on the people and God's mission. And so he's this example of this transformed person. And so when we read this story, we're like, man, this is awesome. Man, look at the church. It's just, a, it seems alive. It's caring for each other. This is amazing. And part of us can be really excited about that, but part of us can feel... Kind of, kind of almost a bummer when we read this because we think, man, that's not always my experience in church. You know, I'm, su- I'm sure that some of you are like, hey, I've had some or experiences in churches where I've been hurt. I haven't felt cared for, I've felt neglected, I've felt betrayed. And, and you know what? I, I just want to say I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I've felt that way before too. And and I I don't want to minimize that hurt or or what's happened to you, but the thing is, is like there are no perfect churches. There just aren't. There are no perfect churches because there's no perfect people in them. They're filled with imperfect people. And eventually, you know, here too, I mean, you know, maybe it's already happened or eventually it'll happen, we'll disappoint you one way or the other because we're not perfect either. You know what I mean? And... And, and, and it's tough. It's tough that, that that's our experience. But he, here's why that that happens to us. because and, and we're going to see, like, yes, it seems like there's this kind of almost utopian, amazing thing going on in the church. But here's what happens, and this is what le- leads to, to hurt in a church, is sin creeps in. Let's look at verse 5. You know, so, so it gives us this awesome example and everything that's going on. But then verse 5, or chapter 5, but a man... Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? And, 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 you know, here, just to to be clear, clear, the problem here isn't that they kept the money for themselves. It isn't isn't the amount that that is the issue here. It's, hey, you've lied. Right? It's not not that you kept some of it. I mean, and Peter says, hey, wasn't it not your own? Was it not at your disposal? You could have done whatever you wanted to with it. You could have given some. You could have given none. You could have chose whatever to do. But why is it that you lied to God? And then in verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. I mean, the, these young men, those are the interns, right? You know, you got the apostles. You got these interns. It's like, you know, they don't even get a name. It's just like, interns, g- grab them. You know, and then um, verse seven, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Hey guys, this is really important side note. Make sure you communicate to your spouse, right? Hey, I'm going to go at, well, I'm going to go at one. I'm going to go one. You know, if, hey, if you didn't show up, ask a question, right? So if she does, she has no idea what's going on. Always communicate to your spouse. Um, And then verse eight, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Just ask her the question. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have uh, buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. You know, so, so it just had been given us this great example of Barnabas. Hey, Barnabas is being generous. He sold all of his field, and then it contrasts it with this other this other story of, of Ananias and Sapphira. Almost the opposite example. And, and earlier, before this, it had showed how, how there's this attack, there's this persecution and, and opposition from the outside. You know, all these Sadducees, the religious leaders, they're trying to attack the church from the outside, and now Satan is trying to attack the church from the inside. And so here, here's the next big question. The you know, first one was like, how can, the, how can the church live in this kind of community? So here's the question for this is, why did they do what they did? You know, why did Ananias and Sapphira sin? why did they do that? And so first are two things. We're going to see the depth of sin and the deceit of sin. So we might think, well, they just lied. But lying is, is always showing you that there's something deeper going on. Something, you know, that, that, that line is always showing you that there's something, there's a depth to the sin. It's not just lying. You know, one day we had this cleaning day at church. And we're out there cleaning the grounds and everything. And, and Colton comes up to me and he shows this, this weed that he had pulled. And it was seriously like a centimeter high. I mean, it was just like that, that big. And I thought, that's cool. Um, and then he goes, well, hey, Dad, but look at it. There's this tiny little plant. And look at the root. And I mean, seriously, this root was like six, six inches long. I was like, wow, that is crazy. And he's like, yeah, isn't it super weird that this tiny little plant, this weed, has this really long root? That's how sin is. We might think it's this tiny little thing. We might not think, we think, well, it's not that big of a deal, but it has a deep root. And for, for Ananias and Sapphira, this lie that they're telling has this, this root to it. And what, what their lo- the, the root is, is that they're looking for the approval of people. They're pretending to be something that they are not. Hey, we, we, we're not going to give it all, but we want to look like we gave it all. We're not going to be completely generous, but we want to look like we're completely generous. I mean, maybe they're watching what's happening. Oh, man, everybody's giving and everybody's being generous. Man, look at Barnabas. Man, he sold the field and gave everything to the apostles. Man, then the apostles gave him a nickname. I want a nickname. Man, he's going to get his name in the Bible. I want my name in the Bible. That'll be cool. Look at Luke. He's over there. He's always writing on this piece of paper. I want to write something about me in there. What what will everybody think about us if we do the same? Man, people will think we're really something. People will think that we're just as generous, maybe more than Barnabas. They're more concerned with God's glory, they're more concerned with their own glory than with God. So they pretend so they could get the applause of people. So a question for you is, how are you pretending to be something you're not? How are you pretending to be better than you really are or just less worse than you really are? You're faking it. We all do this to a degree, right? We want people to think we're really spiritual, maybe really smart. Some sort of, we want people to think we're a great parent great business person, that we really love Jesus. Or on the flip side, you don't confess things to people because, you know, you don't confess sin or struggles in your life, some darkness in your life, because this question is going through your brain. If I tell them that, what will they think of me? And so you hide because you're worried. You're either trying to get the approval from people or you don't want the disapproval of people. You're just so concerned with what they think of you. That's not, the problem there is not a lying problem. It's something deeper that you think that you need people to approve of you. Now, the solution of that is to not stop lying. That's not the solution. To just like, well, just go tell the truth. Well, just, just confess your stuff and just, just stop per- pretending. That's not the solution. You have to get to the root of the problem. You you need to be filled with the love of God. You don't need to work or be concerned about the approval of other people. Why? Because you already have the approval of God that has been given to you freely, been purchased for you completely by Jesus. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks because why? The creator of the universe, God, thinks this of me and this is who he's made me in Jesus. I am his and he is mine. My identity and who I am is in Christ. That, that's, that's where the thing is broken and that's where, where Jesus says, hey, I want to meet you in that place and completely heal you and fill you with more of my love and who I am. And so they, they need to be filled with the love of God. And, and even Peter recognizes this, like, hey, you know, look at verse 3. He says this. He says, but, but Peter said this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? I mean, before this, we're, we're, we're seeing what a spirit-filled community looks like. Even after this, it's the spirit of God is filling the people. Luke keeps telling, telling us about that the spirit of God are filling people. But here, Peter says, hey, but... Satan is filling your heart. And, and when that word feeling there, uh, it's not talking about like a percent. You know, it's not like, hey, you're half full, you're full, full, all the way full of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is like, hey, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're coming under the influence, under the control of the Spirit. You're surrendering yourself to <clears throat> the Spirit. Or, hey, you're coming under the influence of Satan, under, under evil. And here's the reality is, you are always coming under the influence of something. Your heart is going to be, always be filled with something. You're either surrendering to, being influenced by, and following God, him, his way, his spirit, his word, or it'll be you know, either evil or just yourself. Hey, what do you want? What your own comfort, your own desires, the approval of others. You're, you're going to be following something, your heart is going to be influenced by something. And so what right now is competing with God for your heart? Right now, what is competing with God for your heart that you're starting to give influence to or maybe you're giving a lot of influence to, you're almost like surrendered to it? Whatever it is, take that to Jesus. Ask him for help. Don't be fooled into thinking that it's no big deal and that you could just let it hang around you. I get it. You're probably letting it hang around you because it, it, you think you're getting something from it. You are getting that approval of people. You are getting kind of your comfort. But here's the thing. It is lying to you and it will betray you. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can leave it around and not need Jesus in it. Which is why we also see here the deceit of sin. So we saw the depth of sin, but we also see the depth of sin. Again, they just didn't all of a sudden lie. It's not like Ananias is just walking down the road. Hey, just sell this you know, the field for that? Yeah. Well, actually, no. Right? There's this progress in this. Look at verse two. It says this. You know, hey, you sold the piece they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge. Circle, underline that with his wife's knowledge. He did this with his wife's full knowledge. That means that he talked to her about it. They're having this conversation. This is something that they're planning to do. Even Peter says in verse 4, he says, why is it that you've contrived this? Why did you scheme this way? Why did you plan this way? In verse 9, it says, you agreed together to do this. And so during this, they're they're talking about it. during When they're kind of thinking about it, planning it, scheming it, Ananias could have said, hey, wait a minute. Is this really a good idea? He could have stopped. Hey, why don't we just take this to God? Why don't we just pray about it? Hey, I don't think that this is a really good idea. I mean, aren't we kind of lying in this? Sapphira, she didn't have to follow her husband into sin. She didn't have to just follow his weakness. She could have been like, hey, I get it. I want a cool nickname too. But hey, Ananias, this is not a good idea. This is evil. She could have stopped it. But they just kept moving forward. They kept agreeing. Kept, that kept the sin around. Kept these ideas, these lies around. Sin. Sin is not neutral. Behind every sin is a lie, and whatever it's promising you, whatever it's telling you could give, at best it could give it to you just for a little bit, but there's a lie. It really won't deliver, it can't because it's sin. It's pulling you away from the truth, pulling you away from God, pulling you away from who God made you to be. This is what John 10, 10 says. says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Sin is trying to rob you. Rob you from life, rob you from joy, rob you from peace, trying to trick you and steal from you. It's trying to destroy your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your marriage, your intimacy with Jesus. It just keeps lying to you and it's trying to destroy you and it will continue to grow and grow. It is not for you. So going back you know, to, to, to the movie Stranger Things, the kid, the kid knew he should have gotten rid of it. He kind of knew. His friends definitely knew, but this is what was going on in his brain. Well, but I like it. Hey, but I, you know, it's kind of small. It's cute. I can just control this pet. Yeah, I know I probably shouldn't, but I, I just, it'll be okay. I can manage. And it grew and it grew and then it came after him, just like sin will come after you. Ananias and Sapphira, they could have stopped this. They could have repented, even prayed and asked God for help. I mean, even in that moment, they could have just said, God, I don't want to be generous. God, I do care a lot about what other people think of me. I want people to think I'm awesome. And they could have asked, God, will you change my heart? I'm not there. I do care a lot. I do want those other things, but God just I'm asking you for help. Please change my heart, please shape me, please mold me. They could have turned away from their sin and turned to Jesus with it, but they kept it around. And here's the question I have for you is: what is the sin that you're just keeping around in your life? What is the sin that you're just like, letting it hang around? You're allowing. You're not taking it to Christ. You think it's like a pet think it's fine maybe it's not that big a deal Was a sin that you that you have hidden that you're not telling anyone and maybe you maybe you fooled us maybe you fooled the people around you but you can't fool God any sin that you're just allowing you're keeping hidden not turning away from again it's deceiving you It's robbing you from life, robbing you from the life that you can have with Christ, in Christ. That's why the gospel is such good news. It addresses both the depth and the deceit of sin. Hey, the depth that Jesus is like, hey, I know you're broken. I know your heart's messed up. That's why I'm gonna come. I'm gonna send my spirit into you, give you new joys, new delights, new life in me. I'm gonna change your heart, not your behavior just make you a better person. It's not that. And, and he, he addresses even the deceit of sin. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth. I'm here to show you the truth, and it's found in me. So we see, you know, that why Ananias and Sapphira, why did they do what they did? Because the depth and deceit of sin. Next question that we have. Maybe you're really wondering this a lot. You know, why did, why did God kill them? Right? I mean, like, hey, they lied, and then Peter says, you know, ask them, why they lie? And then when they hear this, boo, drop dead. You know what I mean? That's a weird, let's just admit, that's a weird situation. I mean, if this happened and I was Peter, I'd be like, "Whoa, Huh? huh it was just a question. Ah! You know, they would get up. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that'd be weird. I mean, can you imagine that happening this Sunday? And then next, you know, this week, you're trying to invite somebody to church? What's it like? Uh, I don't know. Uh, somebody dropped dead last week. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's just a really weird thing. I mean, even just like, hey, City Light, we want to become a people that, that, that lives sufficiently and gives, gives extravagantly. Key word, we want to live sufficiently. We just want to live. So give, you know, or you don't, you dead. Right? I mean, can you imagine the guy that's behind Ananias? You know, he's just like, I was going to give a five, and now he's reaching for a 20. You know, like, oh, gosh. This is weird, and when we, when we read this story, we're like, man, that seems kind of extreme. I mean, really, could they have just gotten a timeout? Maybe a privilege taken away, no more screen time. Right? It feels extreme, and so why did, why did God do that? And here's, here's the thing. We think it's extreme. We think it's an extreme reaction because we think sin isn't that bad and God isn't that good. We just don't think sin is that bad. Is it really a big deal? We we like to grade sin on a curve. We were on our way back from a family trip, not a vacation, because kids are with us. Vacations, no kids, family trip with kids. So we're <laughs> heading back. Uh, and you know we're we're, you know, driving kind of by North Platte on I-80. And I and, and I'll admit, you know, because it's because it is a family trip, I'm like, I'm ready for this thing to be over. Uh, You know, so I'm I'm driving faster than I should. I'm probably going about six miles over the speed limit. And then this car comes flying by me. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's good. Because now there's somebody going faster than me. And if there's a cop up there, he'll pull over that guy. And I'll be okay. And then seriously, like half a mile down the road, there's a cop there in the median. And I don't know exactly when this other car saw him, but I'm like pretty, now pretty close to him because he slowed down. And I thought, "Mm, man. If that cop comes and gives me a ticket instead of that guy, I'm going to be so mad because that guy was going faster than me and I'm not as bad as him, he should get the ticket. And that's how we think with sin. Well, it's not that bad because somebody's always going faster than me. Hey, I'm not that bad because there's always somebody who's sinning worse than me. So really, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Hey, you know, they just lied. Is it that big of a deal? Sin, is, sin is, is not graded on a curve, and it's not just you breaking some moral code like I, w- I went over the speed limit. Sin is, sin is also who it's against. And this sin that they commit here, it is against a holy, perfect, completely righteous God. Remember Peter, he says, you didn't lie to me, you lied to God. They offended this utterly, holy, completely good and perfect, in whom, in his presence is the fullness of joy, God. That's why we only think that this is extreme, because we think sin is not a big deal, and God isn't that good. And so a question I have for you is, as you read this story, do you find yourself wanting to be like Barnabas, generous, giving, Or do you find yourself just not, you you find yourself wanting to just not get punished like Ananias and Sapphira? In your life, are you actually wanting God to change your heart, make you more generous, have more life and joy and freedom in him, or are you just wanting God to not think your sin's a big deal? If that's you, which I've been there too, what that is exposing Is that we just don't think sin is that bad and that God really isn't that good. But the more that we see that God is utterly good, is amazing, his ways are wonderful, and life is found only in him, the less we're gonna want sin and the more just evil it is going to be. Because why? Because it isn't God. God is so good. And so the more that you see how good God is, the more repulsive sin will be. The more that you you see sin and just for how the evil it is, the more you're going to want to turn away from it and turn to God. We'll just see those things. And the the more that we see those things, the bigger the salvation that we've been given in Christ will become. Right? I mean, if you think about it, the cross of Jesus Christ, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is crazy. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, if you really think about it, it, it seems ridiculous. Man, I really, I, the more that, that I grow in, in my relationship with Christ, the more that I actually understand the depth of, of the sin that is, that's there. And it's like, ugh. And the more that I just think it's crazy that this, this all-loving, all-knowing, all-good, all-perfect God sent his son and said, hey, Ricky, church, city light, I know that you're guilty. I know that you're messed up. You have sinned way more than you could could ever know. But my son will pay the price. My son will die in your place. And you could be saved to me, not because of anything that you've done, but because my son, Jesus, has earned it for you. That's crazy. We get to be saved to this amazing, wonderful God because of his grace, his love For us, And if if you haven't given your life to Christ, if you don't know Jesus, if you actually haven't trusted in him as your savior, do that right now. I mean, seriously, like, you could trust in Jesus right now and you could be brought out of your sin, out of your shame, out of death, and into his life. The life that he gives you, not because you grew up in church, not because you're good, not because of anything, but just because of what Jesus has done for you. So we've seen why this this you know how how does this community be unified and, and be the way that they are? We've seen why did Ananias and Sapphira do what they did? We saw you know why did God do, you know kill them? And then the last question is is man and just in light of all of this, what is it that we need? You know if we have this deceit and the depth of sin in this, what is it that we need? Two things. First, we just need the gospel. We need Jesus. The the gospel frees you and me from pretending to be something that we're not. We don't have to be hypocrites. Because here the gospel tells you this. The gospel tells you you're not awesome by yourself. Hey, you don't have what it takes. Jesus coming, arriving on earth and dying on the cross tells you you can't fix yourself. You are dead in your sin. You can't clean yourself up. You're not good enough. You're lost and broken and sick. You don't have this. You don't got it. But also the gospel tells you that you don't have to earn this relationship with Jesus and you can't earn it. You can't clean yourself up and now this this salvation, this this forgiveness that you have in Christ has been given to you because of what Jesus has done for you. He earned it for you. So if if you know that, that, man, that's who I am. That's who we are these broken, sinful, dead people that have been brought out of that, been, been saved totally by what Christ has done for us. And the gospel tells you that you're far more wicked, far more evil than you think, but you're more loved than you could ever dare dreamed of. The other thing that, that the gospel tells you is that yes, this, this salvation, this relationship that you have in Christ is not earned, but from that salvation that's been given to you, from that salvation, you continue to become more like God as you surrender to God and him working in your life, his grace. You know, and so we're all in process. None of us are, are, are have this Christianity thing all figured out. We're all growing and becoming more and more like Christ. No one's arrived. But we tend to forget that we're, we're still in need of the same grace of God. I mean, don't ever fool yourself into thinking that one day you'll be rocking this thing, you know, this Christianity thing enough that you no longer need Jesus' grace in your life, that you no longer need the spirit to convict you of sin, to lead you to repentance. That you no longer need the word of God to point to you where you're at fault. That day will never come until you're dead. So we're all in process of this. And so if we're all sinful people, that are only saved because of what God has done for us his goodness not ours if we're all of that and we're for all in process that frees us from having to pretend that we're something that we're not that's who we are saved by grace people that are still messy we don't have to pretend to be something that we're not we already we don't have to work for the approval of other people because we already have it the approval of God in Jesus so we always need the gospel to remind us of just who we are and, 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 and just continue to believe deeper and deeper the truth in the gospel. And so we, so we all need the gospel, but you know, the last thing that we need is community because let's admit, we forget. Like what we know, like I mean many times I'm like, hey, I know that I'm loved by God but I don't really feel loved by God. I'm not actually living that out. Hey, I know that I don't need the approval of other people, but man, I do kind of think I need the approval of other people. We forget. You know, we, we, we need people to point us back to beholding Christ and to believe in the gospel. This is what Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another." Hey, we all need to be sharpened. We all need to be like, you know, and and sometimes that iron sharpening iron is a violent thing. Sparks fly when that happens, and we all need that. We need community. We need other people to tell us where we're blind. Because if we refuse to walk in community, even though community, I will admit, it is tough sometimes, but if we refuse to walk in community where we're supporting one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, all of these things for people to hear us and encourage us. If we refuse to do that, hypocrisy and sin will flourish. We always need someone in the trenches in our lives that we're not hiding from. That's why we always encourage vulnerability here. Hey guys, we're all messed up. We all have things in our life one way or the other. Let's just be honest about it. We don't need to pretend. Let's be this, this community. So just stop playing the game. Stop pretending Because we could come to church, we can hear sermons, we could raise our hands when we sing and not repent and actually move closer to Christ. I mean, I've lived in Lincoln for quite a while and I've seen it happen many times. And somebody will say something like, you know, because it kind of comes out and people start just kind of knowing, hey, this couple, so-and-so, they're getting a divorce, and then almost every time I'll hear something like this, even from people that were close to them, close to them, they'll say, we had no idea. We had no idea they were struggling. We had no idea this was going on. Because they kept showing up in church, doing, going through the motions, and not actually ever being open and honest about what's going on in their life. You know, so with the, may we be a people that never get to that point. May we be a people that just say, hey, you know what? With, with our city group, with our huddle, with some people that we're in community with, that are pointing us to truth. May we just say, hey, you know what? Man, my marriage isn't the way that I really, I don't think it should be. Hey, there was this person the other day that kind of looked at me, kind of flirted with me, and I know I shouldn't like it, but I kind of liked it. Hey, my, my eyes have been kind of, Wandering around, or or hey, if you're you know you maybe maybe you're single and you're like, hey, I know that I should should you know just care about somebody that loves Jesus and everything, but man, I'm just so lonely. So I'm I'm really struggling with compromising and just being with somebody that that's not actually following Jesus. Whatever it is, you know, we we all have struggles. We all have sin. We're all in process, not arrived, and figuring it out, and we all struggle to believe the gospel, so may we we be that kind of community, may we be that kind of family that just says, hey, I'm with you in this, man. I'm with you in the trench. Let's point each other to Jesus. Let's be the kind of family that Jesus died to, to create and point each other to him and to his wonderful grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, um, Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, that, that you are with us, Lord, and that even as we, we kind of go over what feels kind of heavy with sin, Lord, that one, that you didn't just leave us in, your, in our sin or that you don't just expect us to clean ourselves up from our sin, but, Lord, that you say, hey, I'm going to come down, I'm going to meet you where you're at, and I'm going to pay the price, I'm going to intervene, and I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to redeem you. And so, Lord, thank you so much, Lord, that you do for that, that for us. That is a gift. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we... We just think through your word here and, um, and everything, Lord. May we just be sensitive to your spirit. May we listen to you and just respond to you in a way that pleases you, that worships you, and not, I don't know, not just allow things like sin or, or whatever it is in our life to just hang around. Lord, may we turn to you, Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Amen.